I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast is supported in part by the Bertha Foundation. Hey, Lewis. Hello, Daniel. Welcome to Rational Fear. Oh, my goodness. This is so lovely. A hundred episodes. Yeah, very good. We did it, guys. <laughs> you know what I like about this? This is great doing a live show in the middle of a pandemic. It's fantastic. It's great marketing. I'm hoping not the middle. Is that just me? <laughs> I was really hoping we're at three-quarter time. I reckon the middle's optimistic. Yeah, <laughs> just, Very early days. I just feel like when people get COVID from here, everyone will ask, how did you get it? You know, I went to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's It's got to be bottom three ways to get COVID. <laughs> <laughs> we have Patreon supporters. I just want to thank our latest Patreon supporter, Ben Wooler. He's shipping in with 10 bucks a month. Big thank you to Ben. It is great. I understand we have a couple of Patreon people here. Who from Patreon is here? Yes, thank you. Very good. <laughs> Enjoy that 20% off. Um, excellent. 20%. I do two-for-one tickets. You do two-for-one tickets? Yeah, That's 50%. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we do 20%, yeah. Um, <laughs> just to clarify. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's just like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> if anyone out there starts getting any fucking ideas. <laughs> Uh, we are recording Irrational Fear on the land of the Gadigal in the Yora Nation. Sovereignty was never ceded. We need a treaty. Let's start the show. Irrational Fear contains naughty words like Brexit, Brexit, Canberra, Fair Dumb, and Section 44. Irrational Fear recommends listening by, by immature audiences. Tonight, Eddie Maguire denies he's racist, adding he made the trainings run on time. And the World Health Organization says coronavirus is unlikely to have leaked from a lab in a devastating blow to conspiracy theorists who listen to facts. And Pauline Hanson calls for the swastika to be banned over fears it'll dilute her brand. It is the 11th of February 2021 and welcome to the Super Bowl of Australian satirical comedy podcasts. This is Irrational Fear! Excellent. 
Welcome to Rational Fear. I'm your host, former president of the Collingwood Football Club, Dan Illich. Uh, if you're new around here, this is the podcast that takes the saddest stories of the weeks and makes jokes about them. Because let's face it, if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. Let's meet our fear mongers for tonight. He's the actor award-winning creator of Upright and the actor award-losing head writer of At Home Alone Together. From The Chaser, it's Chris Taylor. Thank you very much, Dan. <laughs> Great to be here, yes. Uh, yeah, you win some, you lose some. I'm very disappointed not to be nominated uh, for the Golden Globes this week. <laughs> but nor was Holly Moly, so I feel like I'm in pretty good company there. And at 15 years old, she was expelled from boarding school, which is the only qualification you need to join this show. She's one of Australia's most loved smartasses. It's Yumi Steins! Thank you for having me. You know, I've been reflecting on getting expelled from boarding school. For the last 20 years, I was like, fuck those guys, that was really unfair. And then just recently I've gone... Yeah, I was a bit of an yeah. asshole. <laughs> Welcome, it's good to have you. And 11 years ago, we crashed the VIP section of a Comedy Central party in New York City to meet John Oliver. Then our next guest managed to get a job replacing John Oliver on his very own podcast. She always gets what she wants. It's Alice Fraser! I'm so happy to be here, Dan. <laughs> did you crash tonight or did you get a ticket? I wasn't invited. I, don't, <laughs> I, I put that in your script. And our next guest tried to move from Melbourne to Sydney while the state borders were closed, which turns out to be just as challenging as moving from one part of Sydney to another part of Sydney. It is Hamish Blake! Thank you. Fresh out of the tunnel. Fresh out of the tunnel. Um, lovely to be here. Lovely to be here. And he's co-hosted over 100 episodes of a satirical comedy podcast and is yet to see a cent. It's Lewis Hopper. <laughs> Did you just say I've co-hosted over 100 episodes? Oh, sorry, uh, I did. I made a mistake. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was like, well, you guys all need to leave. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, the 100th episode was weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right. There was a ter- That's like you making a mistake that this was going to be recorded on a Thursday. Well, <laughs> yes, I didn't realise this was on tonight. I, I told all of my friends to come tomorrow. That's why it's an empty seat. <laughs> and... It's we recorded this on a Thursday every Thursday for 18 months. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. It's what we what we had. Uh, and on decks for the first time in ages, it's DJ Tom Lowndes. Oh yeah. And a little later on, you'll meet our musical guest Gabby Bolt. She's really big on TikTok. But first, here is a message from this week's sponsor. In recognition of leadership change at Collingwood Football Club, McDonald's is celebrating some off-menu items. Introducing the Maguire Burger, a spineless chicken fillet in a dew batter, protected in a milky white bun with extra mayo. There's so much sauce, it's guaranteed to leak no matter how you handle it. With grill marks painted on, relax, it's just a little joke. Mmm, taste the mediocrity. The Maguire is basically a good burger, but never meant to give anyone the shits. Next time you visit a McDonald's, ask for the Maguire. Tastes like Yarra water. Never cancelled, just not on the board anymore. For online ordering, just go to Burgers and highlight the tag that says, me, 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 me. I I recommend it to everyone. (laughs) Well, folks, it is, uh, yes, thank you. Robbie McGregor there. 
Folks, it is 2021, which means we could have an election this year or we could simply not do and say we did, which seems to be the coalition's policy strategy at the moment. Australians' elections are kind of like booty calls. They spring up on you at the last minute, ruin your weekend plans, but if you're lucky, you'll get a sausage. <laughs> and there is anticipating brewing for Booty Call 2021. You can see the signs already. There are already knife shortages in Canberra. Uh, it's also very strange, very strange in 2021. Labor is so scared that the coalition will bully them on climate change that they're desperate to try and do less on climate change. And the Liberal Party is so scared that the nation and the world will punish them for doing fuck all on climate change that they're desperate to do just the bare minimum on climate change. It's kind of like a, um, a, a pissing contest, but the contestants won't piss, they won't even unzip their pants, but insist on building new coal-powered toilets. Uh, <laughs> but who said bipartisanship was dead? Uh, here we go. I think there's one thing both parties have their sights on, and it is the member of Hughes. His name is Craig Kelly. Um, now, if you think Craig... Looks... No, I mean, if you listen to the podcast, huge cheer went up in here, but... <laughs> We don't, we don't have the audience mic, so you can't really hear it. But it's... A couple of great clear fans in the room. Yeah, woo! All right, all right, stick around. You're going to love it. <laughs> and now, if you think he has the look of a flustered director of a furniture company that's gone bankrupt, you're right. <laughs> He's literally the flustered director of a furniture company that's gone bankrupt. <laughs> Now, everyone is annoyed at Craig because he's kind of like the drunk uncle at the uh, Parliament House Christmas party. He wanders around the backyard telling you unverified bullshit to anyone who will listen. Stuff like the US Capitol insurrection was a hoax. Neo-fascists and Marxists engaged in a highly coordinated false flag operation. And environmentalists started the Black Summer bushfires. I wonder if any of those arrested are Extinction Rebellion types trying to fulfil their prophecy. And renewable energy will, um, uh, will drown kids. By making swimming lessons more expensive, some parents are going to be unable to afford them. The result being less children having basic swimming and water safety skills, placing them at greater risk of drowning. That's, that is actually smart. <laughs> He's got a point. <laughs> the mass is there. You can tell Hamish has done more than 100 podcasts. Uh... <laughs> 101, baby. Tomorrow night, you're going to be in my company and you'll love it. Back in 2016, he even attended a commemoration of Croatia's Nazi-allied fascist government, the NDH, and then proceeded to say this at the occasion... On behalf of the Australian Prime Minister, Tony Abbott, who is now in Japan, I impart you to greetings and good wishes on the occasion of the celebration of April 10 to you and all Croatians in Australia and those in Croatia. Uh, not necessarily the best thing. Uh, the Australian ambassador then got pulled into the Croatian parliament to explain what the fuck was going on. Uh, I assume the ambassador just put a picture up of the prime minister eating an onion and said, sorry, we don't know. Um, it's very strange. Now, it, it is, it is a, there's a very few things that a politician will get cancelled for in Australia, but being fascist isn't one of them. Uh, it turns out spreading lies about COVID on social media is the last straw. Now, over the last year, Craig's face Facebook and going, he's went on, gone on Sky Media. He's just been spreading information, misinformation about COVID all over the place. He's been saying that mandated mask 
for Children is uh, is child abuse. He's been alluding to the anti-vax conspiracy theories about Bill Gates. He's been uh, promoting disproven and unproven COVID-19 treatments like the anti-malarial drug hydroxychloroquine and imivectin, which is actually a horse dewormer. It won the prize for removing parasites, something that ScoMo might like to win a little later on if he wants to remove some parasites from his own party. Kelly even went on Celebrity Chef and Problematic Ken Doll's podcast, Pete Evans's podcast. Uh, for an hour and a half, they just spoke bullshit about conspiracy theories. Now, I listened to it, so you didn't have to. Um, and he, he said a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't news, but I think Pete broke some news. Very wise words and very truthful words, Craig. Um, it looks like I'm going to throw my hat into the ring and join uh, the political movement and see, 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 what, see what happens from that. I have no expectations. When you sit in a big room, always sit at the back of the room where you can see everyone. I'll give you a tip. <laughs> Mate, I don't think that's why you sit in the back of the room. <laughs> yeah, you get a special seat, Craig. You're right at the back, like my daughter is when she's driving the car. <laughs> Uh, folks, do you have any tips for Pete Evans as he heads into the world of politics? Any? He's, I, I feel like he's nailed his slogan there. No expectations. <laughs> no expectations. <laughs> hey, we've got no expectations. I mean, you do have some expectations that we'll fuck it up, but we've got no expectations. You could tighten it down to just, Evans, no. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, like the, the Evans party? For people who think Pauline Hanson is far too sensible. <laughs> I reckon seven minutes in Evans. <laughs> They should only put a candidate in Byron Bay, though, surely. Like, that's yeah, the that's only the only place, place they will make it, surely. Yeah. I'd like to see someone come out, though, because, you know, political slogans are all like, they're often just like, you know, hey, we can do it, or, you know, whatever, you know, like, jump on board, or for a progressive tour. I'd like to see him get defensive, because he knows everyone's against him. Like, a slogan that's just something like, you're the fucking crackpot, <laughs> or just, just, <laughs> Pete Evans, you're, you're, I reckon you're fucking weird. <laughs> just get on the front foot. <laughs> That's for free, Pete, if you're listening, and I know you do. <laughs> now, none of this would be a problem if Craig Kelly was just your uncle, but he's not. He's an MP with a huge social media presence that is actually bigger and more powerful than the Prime Minister's own social media presence. Uh, it's worse than letting your uncle loose on Tinder. Craig's already swiped far right. It's terrible. Um, <laughs> After the PM uh, was asked about this at the National Press Club last week, he was uh, to see if he was going to do something about Craig. This is how ScoMo replied. You don't go to Craig Kelly? I, I, he's not my doctor and he's not yours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's pretty happy with that one, isn't he? Yes. Spoken like a man who how can't hold a How many staffers are in the room to laugh <laughs> yeah. at that bit? Like, like, just giving it a but after a brief confrontation with Labor MP Tanya Plibersek in the halls of Parliament House, uh, there was a big announcement in Canberra. Of course, Canberra fucking loves announcements. Uh, that the Prime Minister pulled Craig Kelly into his office and gave him a dressing down. Now, sorry if I've given you a visual of Craig Kelly dressing down there. I'm really sorry about that. Um, Fearmongers, uh, any idea about what that conversation with ScoMo and Craig Kelly in the office was all about or what they said to each other? Craig, you've got to say sorry. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> fucking don't want to. No, stand up, mate. It's time. It's time. Get out there and fucking say sorry. I mean, it could have been just a bit of like, it's good, double check. You're not actually my doctor, are you? Like, I'm, I'm making all these gags in the press guy and they're going well, but I'm, you're not actually my doctor, are you? Actually, the thing about homeopathy is the less I'm your doctor, the more I'm your doctor. <laughs> 
Is he? He only got him off Facebook for a very short amount of time. It's about right? a day. Or something. Yeah. So it lasted thirty six hours. Right. So this, <laughs> that was a so that was a ScoMo enforced ban. It wasn't a Facebook enforced ban. No, it was ScoMo. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if like it's thirty six hours. I wonder if he was just like, look. I'll get you off Facebook. I'll introduce you to TikTok. And then it was just Craig just like punching buttons for 36 hours. So he was like, oh, fuck it, I'm going back to Facebook. It does, it does scream a bit of like, that's it, no screen time for a week. A week? Mate, Daniel spreads misinformation all the time. He only gets two hours off Facebook. The rig sounds like, all right, well, all of today and then till lunchtime tomorrow. And then that's, then you really think about it after that. <laughs> I was just glad he did, you know, he also was banned from OnlyFans because. <laughs> no, he wasn't. He if wasn't. You know, <laughs> and here's a video. I got that VPN and you go to dressing down. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's good. Uh, <laughs> Same uh, in New Zealand. Now, I actually happen to have a recording of, of, of what went happened, what happened in that office, but I can't actually play it for legal reasons, so I've had to do a dramatization. Uh, <laughs> Rupert Dagas. Uh, who does a lot of the voices on this show, plays Scott Morrison. But because uh, there are so many Hollywood shows and movies happening in Australia right now, there are no actors I could get in Australia. They were all booked. So I had to go to Hollywood to find the best comedian to play Craig Kelly. Craig, Craig, just come in and sit down and uh, play on your iPad for 20 minutes. Then I'll uh, put out a release that you can repost on Facey. Okay. Ah, uh, Craig Thirsty, Craig One Juice and Hydroxychloroquine now. Oh, sorry, mate. Thanks to my media team, I've only got VB and Forex in the fridge. Please use my desk. It's four metres squared from everyone else in the office. You're a mainstream sheeple. You're a believer. Yes, mate. That's right. Mainstream are where the votes are. The voters, like the sharkies, I like the sharkies. Got it? Peter was right. You're the deep state. Now, mate, mate, there is no deep state. When Tones was in charge, it was Peter. You're friends with the deep state. You make TV with the deep state. You're trying to silence me. I have freedom of speech. Craig, now, I'm not silencing you, but shut up. Now, you're free to say whatever you want to after the election. When you act like a goose, I look like a goose. This year, I'm having a no-goose policy. I'm going to stop the geese. Have a look at this. What is this? It's a boat. That's right, good boy. And what does it say? I stopped these. There you go, you can read. Well, that's good. Now, I'll get you one of these with your face on it. Craig wants trophy face. Yeah, good. Now, only if you're quiet and stop posting rubbish. Now give me one good reason not to drop you from Hughes. Facebook friend has a tape from Engadine McDonald. <laughs> yeah, what's his name? Vladimir Aussie bloke. Mate, there is no tape. You did it. I have plausible deniability. <laughs> Say it for Facebook stream. Wow! Battery dead on truth pad. What's that? Your iPad is dead? Well, charge it and dozens of us. Now you can pick it up tomorrow from Peter. He has really good charges in there. Only if you're a good boy, though. Craig okay? Kelly, good boy. A good boy. Craig, come back tomorrow for truth pad. That's a bloody good idea, mate. Now, fuck off. 
That's uh, Gilbert Gottfried, everyone. <laughs> you wouldn't want a high-profile actor to do an impression of, would you? <laughs> It's a very good impression. Though. Now, here's the thing. We shouldn't actually be surprised about uh, Craig Kelly at all because we have known this was going to happen from the very start of Craig Kelly's career. Uh, if the bankrupt furniture store wasn't a red flag, perhaps this line in Craig Kelly's maiden speech should have been. Over the years, I've packed my head into many a rugby scrum. Although, no doubt, some would say maybe one scrum too many. <laughs> That's what Israel Folau said too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Great. Now, uh, with more about how we keep our politicians more accountable, it's Gabby Bolt. Everyone, Gabby Bolt. Gabby. Thank you. Good start. I've actually never done a comedy set before. That's true. So, please pity me. <laughs> All right. What the Australian government needs is a Karen a crop chop nitpicking nightmare on the parliament floor cause as someone who used to work in retail I've seen them leave a nasty email about how I am supposed to do my job but when you need a Karen most that's when they vanish like on Craig Kelly's COVID Facebook posts they're nowhere to be found But if Karen was feeling ill and Doc said, try this radical untested pill, well, I'd bet 10 bucks she'd take his license down. (laughs) You hear tales of Karens far and wide getting baristas sacked because they put too much whipped cream on my triple mocha frap. You see Karens demanding managers in your average grocery store. So where are they when they need to see the biggest manager of all? Normalised Karen culture in politics. (laughs) They've gone on far too long, getting people fired for way less. Gotta redirect their attention to a national intervention. I can give you Craig Kelly's email address. Normalised Karen culture in Parliament When people act irresponsibly on the job Call them out with the same fervour As a teenage fast food worker Who had the audacity to get your order on Gabby Bolt, everyone! good was Gabby. Give it up for Gabby. He says trying to buy time to raise the microphone. Um, Now, um, thanks for having me, Dan. This is um, a genuine treat to be part of the 100th. I think me and Alice were part of the very first ones. Um, And it's amazing that it's had this run. Like, Serial didn't get close to 100 episodes, I don't think. So, um, teacher's pet, not trying hard enough. So, no, it's, it's great to be here. Um, I'm going to talk about the royals. Um, now, without wanting to conform to uh, social stereotypes, I was reading The Guardian this week. And... <laughs> Who knew? And, <laughs> and there was this bombshell report about how the Queen lobbied to have the law changed to keep the details of her personal wealth hidden. 
Um, so basically the UK Parliament was trying to pass transparency laws so the public would know exactly how much the monarchy spent of public money. But the Queen's lawyers, I think she was repped by Rudy Giuliani, um, they, they managed to overturn the law so we don't know how much she spends and what on. That is, until tonight. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, here at the Giant Dwarf Theatre, I have the official list of the royal family's expenses, which I'm more than happy to share with you tonight. Now, just for background, the Queen gets an annual salary. It's about $97 million a year. Fair. $97 million, <laughs> taxpayer money. She's also on JobKeeper. Um, <laughs> Much to Prince Charles's annoyance. <laughs> the one woman he doesn't want to keep her job. Um, <laughs> so here then, in no particular order, are the palace's expenses for the last financial year. £40,000 on Uber Eats. Usually uneaten because Nando's in London still don't do peri-peri pheasant. <laughs> It's downhill from that one. Like, so. play, play him out, Gab. <laughs> I, over, the, over 100 episodes, that must be like your 70th pheasant joke. <laughs> Welcome to 71. £80,000 on getaway cars at the annual Royal Variety Performance. Anything to avoid small talk with Susan Boyle afterwards. £50,000 racial awareness training for Prince Philip. <laughs> Unfortunately, his tutor was Eddie Maguire, so <laughs> progress was slow. $1 million retainer for Elton John to keep him pumping out new versions of Candle in the Wind for every royal who dies. <laughs> he wrote the Prince Philip one decades ago. He's got to keep updating it. <laughs> £200,000 on developing a new dating app, especially for royals. It's like Tinder, but only lets you match with cousins. Four million pounds. Legal fees for Prince Andrew. Two pounds. Media training for Prince Andrew. £600,000 lobbying the Commonwealth of Australia to get holy moly off the air. Two million pounds on an ambitious pet, I love this one, an ambitious pet project of the Queen to crossbreed horses with corgis <laughs> to create her ultimate spirit animal, the horgy. <laughs> now, <laughs> her intention was to create kind of cute fun-sized horses the size of a corgi, but what she ended up with instead was grotesque corgis the size of a Clydesdale. <laughs> All of them were discreetly put down, except one, which was kept to run Meghan Markle out of the country. <laughs> 15 million pounds on the upkeep of antiquated buildings and relics from bygone eras, such as Hampton Court, Sandringham Court and Margaret Court. <laughs> 6,000 pounds paid to the actress who plays Diana on the Netflix series The Crown for her weekly recreations of the bulimia scenes. Performed for the whole family's enjoyment every Sunday after church. <laughs> That's just for my wife, that one. <laughs> we love those scenes. Now, oh, like £50,000 sexism awareness training for Prince Philip. Unfortunately, his tutor was Eddie Maguire, so <laughs> progress was slow. 
six million pounds on bribing game birds to fall to the ground pretending they've been shot during all of Prince Philip's shooting expeditions. <laughs> they keep playing dead even when they've served for dinner later on. Their amazing commitment to the role. What sort of game birds? Chris, maybe like a pheasant? Grouse and pheasants. <laughs> Play them out, Cab. <laughs> All right. Um, £800,000 on TV development. This one's quite weird. See, after the success of It's a Royal Knockout, <laughs> Prince Edward spent all of last year developing Royal Ninja Warrior. There's also a Royal Maths, which was basically just Charles and Camilla dry humping on a beach for an hour. John Howard called it the romantic feel-good hit of the year. £50,000 on training for Prince Philip in how to exit a long reign with dignity. Unfortunately, his tutor was Eddie Maguire. <laughs> And finally, £17 million paid to lawyers to make sure the public never gets wind of the secret that the woman who lives in that massive palace might actually have a bit of coin. I mean, sure, her face is literally on all the money, but please, let's not ever jump to conclusions that her hands are on it as well. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Your fear is rational. Fearmongers, how, how, what would you like to know about how the Queen actually spends her money? It's weird because it, it's weird that she tries to hide it because it's not like we don't know she's rich. Yeah, yeah, Look at yeah, your hat. Good. Look <laughs> at your hat. It's, it's covered in jewels. <laughs> so big. It's such an expensive hat. Yeah. <laughs> like it's people, the most. Everyone who goes to London, the first thing they do is go to her house yeah. to go, this is huge. Massive. Yeah. In the middle yeah. of town, yeah, and then look at the place where they keep her hat. Yeah. Covered yeah. in jewels. <laughs> The crown. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's good. I was like, okay, that's what's a queen hat? <laughs> yeah. Alice, Alice you, uh, you spend a lot of time in London. You've lived there. Yes. You've lived with the queen. Yeah. <laughs> what, yes. what was the craziest thing you saw her blow cash on? <laughs> on a night out. <laughs> Keeping Prince Philip alive. <laughs> to what extent do you think, you know, Australia should be paying royalties to the queen based on us using her picture on the money we have. Look, I think we all have an agreement in Australia, which is that we're going to become a republic eventually when she dies. <laughs> like, we're just going to be polite until she dies and then we're not going to have Charles on our money. Or do you think she's really shitty that everyone taps now and we don't use money? And is she, <laughs> is she lobbying the credit card companies to yeah. get her face on that plastic yeah. as well? Right? Actually, the Visa Dove is way more fancy. <laughs> yeah, than, yeah. Is, it the, is that a MasterCard Dove? What's the hologram? Who's got I the Dove? I think you're talking Dove beauty products. Like, no, you know the hologram on the... Is it Visa? Visa's got the Dove. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's more. It's, it's more a pheasant. It's a pheasant. It's a pheasant. But you know, like sometimes you go to net banking and it will go like you spent this much this you know month on like healthcare or like you know utilities. I would like like the real specific breakdown for the Queen, like the just the bits, the real weird stuff. I don't think we we know like it probably costs a lot to keep the house sure, yeah. and the horses and stuff. Like that's obvious expense, yeah. but you want weird stuff. Like you want to know if she bought VR or like just <laughs> just got. Just dumb stuff. I want to know about all the purchases past 10 o'clock. That's yeah. what I want to yeah. know. Yeah. 10 o'clock like, to 2am, I, I want yeah. I want to know those purchases. Post-gin, post-gin yeah. session. Yeah. Yeah. What's she buying on eBay? I want to know the Uber Eats order. I would like to know the breakdown on that. Yeah, I want to see the map of the person driving round and round trying to figure out how to tip? get in. Yeah. <laughs> and did she tip? Does, and she, does ha- she walk out to the gates during COVID <laughs> yeah. to pick it up personally? Or is, sort of, is a servant have to yeah. bring it in? No, so I think it's still leave and go. <laughs> no, no, it's all, we've all been vaccinated. No, no, leave and go. <laughs> Do you think they have to pay for Netflix to get the crown? <laughs> it's true. I mean, there's got to be some royalties trickling down there somewhere, doesn't it? And is that where royalties comes from? <laughs> uh, yes. 
ladies and gentlemen, Yumi Stein! All right, you all know what happened, but I'm going to run you through the facts anyway. Yesterday, media personality Eddie Maguire stood down as Collingwood Football Club president after 23 years on the job. Hey! Who was sad? Who was fucking sad as? <laughs> uh, his resignation speech, which went for 15 minutes and was mostly a lengthy self-congratulating listicle of what Eddie has achieved, uh, contained no real apology, although an apology was actually what was needed. Uh, so this resignation from yesterday morning was the latest in a cascading series of events. The event that led to yesterday's resignation was an open letter calling for his resignation. Prior to that event, the event was the leak of a commissioned report on the culture of racism at the Collingwood Football Club, researched and written by Indigenous academic Professor Larissa Berent. Now, the event that led to the commissioning of that report uh, was complaints of racism by former Collingwood star player Heretia Lumumba. So we're four links up the chain before we get to the hero of the story. Surprise, surprise, it's not Eddie Maguire. So Heretio Lumbumba started playing for Collingwood 2004 as an 18-year-old. His background is mixed-race uh, Congolese and Brazilian, and he speaks fluent Portuguese, he's black, he's handsome, and he's a shit-hot football player. But even though he was charismatic, fair, and really popular with fans, and as I mentioned, a shit-hot football player, his career at Collingwood stalled when he started calling out the racism that he saw as endemic to the culture of his own club. And it was then that he started to be frozen out of leadership positions, ostracised by the people in charge and had unfounded whispers of madness and mental illness from his own club amplified by a complicit media. Lumumba left Collingwood in 2014 after 199 games. Now, coming here tonight, I didn't really want to talk about Heretia Lumumba and Eddie Maguire, because talking about racism, for anyone who's experienced it, is actually never comfortable. Um, I also didn't want to talk about it because I don't follow football. <laughs> uh, so if you ask me some stats, I'm not going to be able to fudge it. Uh, and I didn't want to talk about it because every time I'm actually confronted in the real world by racism, I actually get like a physical almost spidey sense tingling in my lower back that it, it's sort of like a queasy, unpleasant feeling. Um, and sometimes the feeling comes before the mental processes can catch up. I attended a, a talk a few years ago by American philosopher and activist Dr Cornell West who came to Australia. He's a Harvard professor and a black man. And what he said, like he said a bunch of cool stuff, but one thing he said I've never forgotten, it was something along the lines of... I'm still overcoming my own racism. I'm still learning. I, like everyone else, I'm a product of the world we live in. And he's like an old man. He's 67 years old. And that it actually made me feel better because I'm imperfect. I'm still learning and we all are. Like imagine, okay, imagine you're on the street in your own suburb and a stranger comes up to you and asks if they can borrow your phone. She's a 35-year-old white woman. And you're like, yeah, sure, use my phone. But what if she's a 35-year-old white woman who's really skinny, has dirty hair, is scratching herself and wearing head-to-toe tracksuit in midsummer? Would you still let her use your phone? 
Um, so we're always kind of casting value judgments on people. It's not necessarily always racial. It's based on how they look all the time. We do it all the time. It's just really tough if you're copying it because of something that you can't help. So you, you can't help your heroin habit, but you also really can't help the colour of your skin and it's infuriating when that's how people judge you. So I thought things that I thought were okay five years ago, I realise now are not okay and I'm guessing that in another five years I'll look back at the Yumi now and, and cringe at how unwoke I am. I am still learning, but is Eddie? I've always been super interested, it's like my hobby, uh, watching the way that people who are racist are blind to their own racism. It's almost cute. It's like a toddler wandering around like, oh, look how unaware they are. And if it's pointed out to them, their first response is pretty much always defensiveness. They get really upset. And I get it. And I'm so interested in this reaction. And the flip side of that is the people who see racism first are always the people who experience it the most and the worst, which is why Indigenous people are often at that intersection of racism and a bunch of other prejudices that make their experiences way worse than you or I could imagine. And this is not my hobby. Like, it's not. Talking about racism is really, really thankless. When people talk about that day that Nicky Winmar lifted his shirt and pointed to his black skin, I know you know that moment. They're describing an iconic moment that was turned into an iconic photo, which has been immortalised as an iconic statue. But they're forgetting, I think, that Winmar himself said to the photographer who took that iconic photo, I appreciate that you've changed my life, but for me, I'm having to embrace possibly one of the worst days of my life over and over again. So when he did that, he wasn't having a great time. And every time he sees that, He's taken right back to that moment of being booed and having horrible things shouted to him. <sighs> Talking about racism, as I said, is thankless. You have to convince people, first of all, that it exists. And when I say people, I mean white people. Uh, and trying to convince white people that racism exists is sometimes like convincing people in the dark ages that they're breathing something, that it's real, it's called oxygen. It just sounds like, what are you talking about? And then you're expected to prove your own credentials by explaining your own experiences of racism, which is not only painful, but it feels like if you start nominating and isolating and describing single incidents, you're in danger of leaving behind hundreds sometimes thousands of times that racism existed but was so micro, so unremarked upon that it was very much like the air we breathe. So if I were to try and, well, really to try very hard not to try and find parity between my experiences and Lubumba's, but if I were to try and dig into, say, the first time that I was called a chink, a nip, a jap or a gook, I might leave behind the times that I was expected as a seven-year-old Australian to apologise for World War II. Um, or by trying to explain how being Asian has hampered my career um, or my love life or my earning capacity, I might accidentally minimise the hundreds of death threats that people have made against me over the years. And for what um, have they made those death threats is an interesting question. And I think that anyone who's ever had many people threatened to kill them. They have sat with the why for quite a long time. And I think if I had to distill the reason why I inspired hatred in enough people that they would send me murderous and quite descriptive and detailed death threats, 
then I think that the reason I could fairly say was because I dared to question the manhood and authority of a white male authority figure as a non-white person. Eddie Maguire, by the way, is the guy who said Adam Goods should do the promotion for King Kong. And when Heretia Lumbumba called him out about it, he said, this is what Lumbumba said himself, people made it very clear to me that I'd done the wrong thing, that I'd thrown the president of Collingwood under a bus, almost making him out to be the victim. So, whether we've grown as a nation and learned from this painful saga is going to be shown in the post-Collingwood career of Eddie Maguire. Because usually, I've seen it enough times, I can predict it. When the shit goes down, the brown person gets blamed and the white person goes on to have a great career in politics. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah! You were a signatory of a of a letter that went out Monday, and then he got he, he stepped down on Tuesday. That's right. Yep. Oh, so that must be feel pretty powerful for that moment. Well, there. <laughs> it did, and it felt good. But I don't want people to confuse his resignation for uh, a cleansing of the entire football culture yeah. that, that made him thrive. Yeah. Uh, do you think this is kind of a you know this is a very public moment for Eddie Maguire? But do you think a lot of organisations all around the country are looking at this, going, "Fuck, we need to fucking clean up our our shop." Well, I was going to say, the, the worry is they'll do the reverse because this sort of all came out as a result of them deciding to launch an investigation into their culture. I want, I'm nervous that some companies might go, fuck, well, that doesn't turn out well when you do that, so maybe we'll just sort of keep mum. Yeah, which is a shame because I don't... I think if that the release of that report had been handled better, like the release, the fuck-up was saying this is a proud day. Mm. They just come out and say this is a shameful day and we're going to work on it. I don't think maybe we would be in that situation where people are like, oh, shit, we shouldn't even look at it. But they're on the, they're on the back foot from the get-go because that report was handed to them in December. Two months mm. ago, yeah. And it took ages. It was, for, it was leaked to an investigative journalist and then they were going to leak it, so they were trying to get ahead of the story and fucking nothing ever goes well when you try to get ahead of the story. <laughs> but it's sort of, how bad is it? Like, you mentioned the Adam Goods thing, which was just horrendous and unpardonable. I can't believe he survived that. And the thing that brought him down was just a slip of the tongue in his opening address... Like, That's not what brought him down, and I disagree with you, Lewis. I think, like, saying it's a proud day, I think it was just, like, he was so, trying to say, I'm proud that we're doing that something we're about yeah. this. Yeah. No, he's just playing with words, saying that that's what's brought him down. It's it's 23 years of racist leadership that's brought him down. No, I certainly, I, I certainly wasn't saying that's what brought him down. I was just saying, in terms of the release of the report, I think, like... I do well. I mean, it maybe was I'm the wrong, weird thing that the media fixated on. Yeah, it got exactly. way more attention than it warranted, given yeah. the history of and the background of that report. I sort of feel sorry for these guys a little bit because they got away with it for so long. <laughs> it's like every week you rob the bank, and then all of a sudden you get arrested, and you're like, it was wrong the whole time. Like. I feel sad for them. I think Ben, Law, them, ben Law had a great tweet today about it. He said, uh, if entitled white women who complain to the manager are Karens, I think Australians can agree, entitled white men who feel that their true victims of systemic racism are now Eddies. <laughs> Do you think this is going to change leadership? How leadership operate around, I, us, around I the country? I really hope so. I don't think so. But I, th I think when people are racist, they don't know they're doing it most of the time. They're unaware. 
Uh, so I think no. And I think also, as usual, the brown person in the room is always the minority in this country, unfortunately. So when uh, Lumumba was creating problems, I'm putting up quote fingers there, the solution that's easier for the white guys in charge is to nominate that guy and go, let's get him out. He's a troublemaker, which has happened to me. Mm. Shut your mouth, get her off the TV. She's creating problems. It's easier to just not have them on stage. Can, uh, you, can we talk a little bit about that for a second? Yeah. That moment on Studio 10, the infamous moment where you were saying some very truthful things about how Aboriginal people have like lower life expectancy and stuff like that, and Carrie ann Kennelly went you, we're talking about the truth... Learning, our, getting Australians to learn our truth about Australia Day. Um, it was a really powerful moment. There were, and that must have been so um, confusing for you at that moment to kind of go, well, I'm just saying some very, very truthful things. It's just facts, guys. <laughs> guys, what, what are you going at me yeah. for? And how did, this, how did this implode my life for a month? Yeah, that one was okay. I've been through other shitstorms that are way worse. At least with that one I knew that I hadn't said anything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, as a, I've had a 15-year career and um, uh, I've made some very bad things on television that I'm, very not, I'm not proud of <laughs> and thankfully no longer exist. Um, thank you for talking about this tonight. You! Yeah. Yeah. Alice Fraser! Hello, let's talk about money. Uh, I'm going to do my verbal exercises first for, for talking about money. Uh, she short sells seashells with a stacked deck on the stock floor. <laughs> and the deck that she stacks is shorted for sure. Uh, let's all stop GameStop stock stacking up in the GameStop shop. Uh, Bobby Bitcoin backed a stock of pickled crypto. How many stocks of pickled crypto did Bobby Bitcoin back? <laughs> So this month marks the month that we all found out a short squeeze is not just a pelvic floor exercise. Uh, people on a, if you don't know the GameStop story, people on a Reddit board took exception to some big hedge fund guys short selling a bricks and mortar game shop called GameStop, sparking a thousand hot takes about the little man taking back the power from the big man by corruptly manipulating the market in the way that is traditionally reserved for those too big to fail and those too big to jail. <laughs> It was nice to watch hedge fund managers scramble and it was an excellent example of how a system which is constantly jerking itself off with its libertarian money-based meritocratic purity rhetoric really collapses when the people join in. I don't want to spend too much time explaining the stock market because I want to give a chance to the thousands of young men who love explaining the stock market. and are currently doing so online. This is their one opportunity to tell everyone about their kink when people won't just tune out and nod politely. <laughs> but it's such an odd move that it was so celebrated. I think we can all agree that the perfect vengeance against the, accountably, uh, the, against the unaccountably wealthy is to pour money into the systems that enrich them. As we all know, Robin Hood stole from the rich to give to the poor so they could pay rent to the rich. <laughs> this is called a stimulus checkmate. So these Reddit guys, these mostly young, mostly men who like to think of themselves as V from V for Vendetta or the Joker uh, because they lack imagination. <laughs> they became the ultimate news cycle fertilizer, despite the fact that they're basically a bunch of guys with nothing better to do using their spare time and spare money to upvote cool seeming memes with cash. 
Speaking of which, uh, co-founder and CEO of inspiringly innovative and astoundingly overvalued electric car company Tesla, Elon Musk has recently stirred the stock markets by using the imaginary money he's made from people thinking his company will make more money than it will to buy into Bitcoin, the most imaginary money. He talked about it publicly before, during and after the transaction while declaring that he couldn't talk about it because it might move the stock market, which it promptly did. Uh, This is the rhetorical technique of negatio, where you say what you're not going to do while doing it. Uh, Like, I won't call my esteemed opposition a dirty cop quipe with a barely legal mistress. Saying what he's not going to do while doing it is Elon Musk's fourth favourite thing to do after his third favourite thing, which is saying what he is going to do while not doing it. And his second favourite thing, which is investing money in revolutionary moonshots like firing a car into space or putting chips in monkey brains while being defended by a certain kind of guy who loves to tell me about how wrong I am about Elon Musk. (laughs) While simultaneously missing every point I'm actually making. Look, Elon Musk does some great stuff. Don't get me wrong, it's nice to see a sci-fi nerd do well. You can't... You can't help admiring Musk for his ambition. He basically single-handedly gave a cash boost to the incredibly expensive enterprise of hardware prototyping in a world where it's much cheaper and easier to stick with iterating software. Good on him. Also, if this goes well, there are potentially world-changing implications for a lot of the technology he invests in and takes credit for. So, maybe my issue with him is is mostly aesthetic. And I don't mean aesthetics in that his head looks like it's made of meat, and I know all our heads are made of meat, but his looks like it's more made of meat. Um, he's, he's, he's a man of binaries. He's a man who's simultaneously very inspiring entrepreneur operating at a leading edge of science so far ahead of the times that he's either a business genius or a very successful performance artist. It's, ju- it's just that he's always in the news for doing something either extremely cool and futuristic or undeniably dystopian, and probably both. The moral of this story is money men be money manning, changing little for real people while smugly congratulating themselves on being the revolution. One of the richest men in the world buying big into an untraceable, unregulated currency that can't be taxed is not a cool rebel move, it's the beginning of a James Bond movie villain (laughs) storyline. It is the wank fantasy of nerds who wish they were brave enough to be assholes. (laughs) Elon Musk is a baby's idea of a (laughs) grown-up. In the same way, disrupting the market by throwing your collective, collective Reddit weight behind a troll shitpost investment is the equivalent of critiquing social media in an eight-paragraph Facebook post. In the end, it's all about ethics in video game stock market journalism. Thank you. Listen to a podcast on the way here, and they said that Elon Musk can move twenty percent of the of the cryptocurrency market just by tweeting something. That's well, such that, an incredible power. The funny thing about the stock market, though, Alice, if I can explain. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the thing is that, it, like, Bitcoin as a as a concept is like this idea of this, you know, blockchain, whatever, blah blah yeah. blah. Uh, more than fifty percent of the Bitcoin mining capacity is controlled by China. The most worrying government. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, the last few weeks, I've been so happy to not have any money. Yeah. <laughs> it's the first time in my life I've been like, thank fuck I'm poor and I don't have to care about any of this. <laughs> like, Do you know what? I mean, I know this is, this is not new news for anyone, but like the whole point of Bitcoin is it's like decentralised and there is no 1-800-Bitcoin you can call to complain. There's yeah. no head office, which is a bummer because on our podcast, on the Hamish Annie podcast, 
Five years ago, I bought two Bitcoins for $900 each. No way. When they were like a funny thing to own. <laughs> and I was like, I've made this investment, I've made this investment. And then our web guy, Jez, because we didn't really understand how to do it, yeah. he lost them. He lost the passwords. <laughs> and you can't call up or write them a letter to go, I know everyone's saying this, but I really had some Bitcoins. <laughs> and we have two out there, which should now be worth 120 grand. Although... And we tried to hypnotise Jez to get... Because he's like, can't find them, they're not in any books anywhere. And we made him sit in the studio with a hypnotist. And then the best, the best we got was him in a trance-like state going, capital B-I-T, capital C-O-I-N, hashtag one, two, th- maybe exclamation mark, I don't know. And so, yeah, we've lost him, except... I'm kind of glad they stayed lost because it is funnier that we've lost 120 grand yeah, yeah. because we tried to sell them. The only reason we found they were lost is we tried to sell them when they're at $1,500 going, well, they're never getting any higher than this. <laughs> and we wanted to buy a convertible and drive through a car wash. And, and, and we would have been the guys <laughs> that cashed out at three grand <laughs> on its way to 120 grand because we wanted to drive an old Ford Capri oh, through, yeah. a, <laughs> through a, cash, a car wash. There's a guy. There's a story from the UK of a of a guy who's trying to get a, uh, a oh hard drive. Like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, get up, find a laptop in a yes. in a tip. Yeah, and he's got, he's got 120 million pounds of Bitcoin. on this laptop. This is yeah. my problem with Bitcoin. Everyone's just like, oh, everyone's hoarding them. Not hoarding them. We just can't find the boxes. Find them. Like they're locked up. It's like this big like virtual Fort Knox that's out there where no one can get in. And everyone's like, mate, no one's selling because no one can fucking sell. Well, this well, is what? the thing about it being untraceable, though. Is it it leads to criminal behaviour like that man who uh, hacked into agree. the Jez penis is a criminal cage. For not, oh, Sorry, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, he, so there was there are these Wi-Fi enabled penis cages that you can sorry, do. Sorry, yeah. Uh, oh, sorry, I talked over penis cage. Yeah, yeah. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, some people like to have strangers or friends tell them that they can't jerk off. Sure. Um, penis cage. A friend asked me if he if I'd do that for him, and I said, please don't sexualize me, not wanting to fuck you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But apparently this man has hacked in and locked people's penis cages and asked for Bitcoin ransoms in order to unlock uh, their penis cages. Uh, On 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 a plus note, remember it got 50 cent out of bankruptcy? (laughs) That's true. (laughs) That's why, and my wife is always like, what are you doing? So I always have a a paperclip just in my pubes in case I ever need to pick the lock. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not comfortable. I mean, if you need to to incentivise remembering a password, (laughs) can I suggest? Get a Wi-Fi enabled one. I mean, if you're going to start with penis cages, start analog. <laughs> just, just, yeah, just go gently into it. Uh, before we head to a short intermission, many people have asked me one question in the lead up tonight um, about Gabby Bolt. They're like, "Oh, Gabby Bolt? Is she related to Andrew Bolt?" And I said, "Well, I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe Gabby could answer this question." <clears throat> uh, my whole life has been building to this moment. <laughs> my dad will be proud. He's not Andrew. My dad's not Andrew. (laughs) Anyone like a samba? (laughs) Let's get one thing straight. I'm not related to Andrew. My dad always said he's a part of the Dutch bolts. I don't know how much of that is true. But even if I were, I would treat it like a curse and sprint to the nearest courthouse to be disowned. (laughs) 
It really makes you wonder what his actual family think Is Christmas a disaster when he opens his mouth to speak? I guess what I am saying is he's easier to digest When you treat him like a drunk uncle and less like a journalist <laughs> Cause at this point all I can really do is laugh Cause if I don't laugh I scream How did we let it get so far? How did we let it get so extreme? We have racist and rapist apologists Becoming mainstream opinion columnists Just another fucking morning in the Murdoch machine <laughs> Thank you We're gonna play a game Cause I was too lazy to write a second verse And Dan gave me four days So, um following things that a racist relative of mine has said at a Christmas dinner or an Andrew Bolt headline. I didn't plan who would answer these questions. I felt like I'd just let the room feel it out. Cool. <clears throat> Facts no longer count in climate debate. Andrew Bolt. Oh, we're going to get along great. This game's great. <clears throat> Why I'm leaving Melbourne for good. Hamish Blake. Which Bolt? Which Bolt? Andrew Bolt. You can't just yell Bolt because that's also my family. (laughs) So just give it a nice old Andrew. All right. Yes, and it was also, yep, that was public. Cardinal Pell's jail diary is a revelation. Andrew. Yeah, it'd be a bit rough if that one was my relative, wouldn't it? (laughs) Gabby, holy shit, you need to get your life together. You can't just keep on playing gigs for people you don't know and making no money at all. Speaking of, is this paid? (laughs) (laughs) It would be funny if that one was, Andrew, but nope, that was actually my relative. Hi. (laughs) It's so hip to be black. Definitely, Andrew. Jesus Christ. Why? Oh. Anyway, this one's a bit hard. Okay, so it, it's really hard. I've really blurred the lines between my family dinner and a public headline. So just really listen now. <clears throat> Why do elderly Australian men keep getting jailed for raping young boys? You did it. You did it. Well done, everyone. You could all work for News Corp. Cause at this point all I can really do is laugh Cause if I don't laugh I scream When publications off the twisted tales are centre right The want for human rights becomes extreme Cause now that ethical media is dead The Twitter newsfeed every day feels like a bullet to the head Just another fucking morning in the Murdoch machine Though I know it's easy, thank you, to laugh it all off as comedy I know if I defended pedophiles publicly I'd be slammed on my socials I'd be out of a job So how can he do it and still be paid at the top? Cause it's not just Bolt He is simply one cog In the misguidedly marveled Machiavellian Massively marshaled million dollar Murdoch machine I just want to say uh, thanks to the Daily Telegraph for reviewing this show. Really glad that you're here. Really appreciate that. All right, welcome to the second half of Irrational Fear. We're about to kick it off. So, uh, of course, you know, to pay our exorbitant bills, um, we need to run another sponsorship ad. So let's, um, let's take it away, sponsor. 
Stand by for an announcement about announcements from the Commonwealth of Australia. The federal government has secured a COVID-19 vaccine for all Australians. Is what we hope you picked up from the news this week. We haven't yet, but we announced it. How good would that be? Just like the $2 billion National Bushfire Recovery Fund that only existed in your brain the moment we announced it. Now that's science. And not to mention getting the arts industry back on their feet with a coronavirus stimulus package that we haven't delivered. That was a really good announcement. We did it ages ago. Guy Sebastian was there and he looked sad. The federal government announcing things because doing things is the state's responsibility. <laughs> Spoken by Rupert Dengas, my soul is being crushed because I have to read these ads to stay alive regardless of my own political opinion. Yeah. You are listening to a very rational fear. Oh, very good, oh. excellent, excellent. Um, now, I don't know if you folks saw this today. The Minister for Health, Greg Hunt, was on ABC News Breakfast this morning talking about the vaccine rollout uh, when Michael Rowland asked him a pretty simple question about why the Liberal Party was using the Liberal Party logo on the announcement about the Commonwealth Government vaccine rollout. Um, anyway, have a look at this. Uh, Greg Hunt wasn't very happy with that question. Greg Hunt, when, when you announced the very welcome 10 million additional doses of Pfizer on your social media channels last week, why did you feel the need to attach a Liberal Party logo to an Australian government announcement? Well, in fact, we made the Australian government announcement as the government um, with the Prime Minister. Mm. But, but I'm asking elected. about why the Liberal Michael, Party logo was there. I know you have strong there. views. I, I've not had... No, I've just, I just... Respect, I'm I will asking answer, why. I'll finish, I'll finish if you let me. <laughs> Uh, because we predicted that you seem to be the most exercised of any person in the Australian media about this. So uh, I was elected uh, under that banner. Uh, multiple uh, members from across multiple parties do that. Uh, I'm a very proud member of uh, that party with a great heritage and tradition in Australia. And uh, that's part of the Australian democratic process. So uh, overwhelmingly, we do these things as the Australian government on a, a particular channel. There's no problem uh, with identifying entirely appropriately within the rules the origins and heritage of that, under, uh, that banner under which we were elected by the but Australian It's an Australian people. government announcement. Who, who paid for the vaccines? <laughs> well, uh, let us draw a clear distinction here. I, I know this is an issue for you. In many ways, uh, you identify with the left. You do this a lot, and, and I respect no, that. Minister, no, Minister, um, no, no, no. You're I, I, open I about that, and, oh, no, and that's I, I, entirely I find, a matter No, I find that offensive. I'm asking you. Oh, I'm, come I'm on, exercised Michael. about what's right There's nobody what's who's right watching who doesn't identify you with the left. I'm and, exercised. And you should be open about that. I'm open about my origin. Wow. There you go. <laughs> Now, the Liberals kind of do this kind of stuff all the time. I don't know if you remember, um, during the bushfires, they put out a video saying that they deployed the army. This was about yes. three months into the bushfire, so everything was already burnt, um, so that was really good. Um, I'm, I don't know about you folks, I'm OK with this. I, I, I don't mind, but as long as they put their logo on every single achievement um, that they do. I've made a few social media posts they can do to get started. Um, here we go. Liberal Party secures Australia's largest dose of national debt ever. Um, Liberal Party secures women's change room for Liberal electorate despite not having women's rugby team. Uh, uh, this one's good. Liberal Party steals money from poor people using robot that makes lots of errors. This one's a little off the game, but still, I, I like it. Liberal Party used the AFP to investigate Greg Hunt for liking a tweet from BBW Cumpumper69, and we never heard about it again. Uh, 
And if you're listening to the podcast, you can go to the show notes at, uh, uh, and download a template where you can do your own. <laughs> Look, that was such a weird interaction, and not just because of the fact that it was super weird, but because he was all like... Talking about the cum pumper? No, or <laughs> no because, Greg, because he, he was try, obviously trying to turn it into a culture war thing. But he was using this, like, super loaded, like, my heritage, the heritage of the Liberal Party, I identify with. Like, it was really as though they'd done something racist. Yeah. (laughs) It's always just good to hedge your bets, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's just nice to see the Liberals trying identity politics for once. (laughs) I mean, mean, as someone who knows Michael Rowland, he is actually one of the least left people in the Apex. Like, if it was Kerry O'Brien, fair enough. Like, but this is genuinely insidious and it's following a pattern. It's sort of borrowing from Trumpism where when they know they've done something wrong, their strategy is to attack the media. Straight away. And to discredit the media. And I hope the electorate sees through it because it's really, really bad. Mm. Lewis, as someone that works at the ABC, who's got a full-time job, do you want to comment? <laughs> <laughs> You do identify with that channel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's as much that as pa- some... That particular station of <laughs> which there is a squiggly tr- triumvirate intertwining logo. I think you know Look, the station a, I'm talking about. The ABC has a proud heritage. <laughs> so it's, it's been well established yeah. that you have been there. I feel much more comfortable with you guys doing this. That's for sure. <laughs> well, folks, uh, this is the 100th episode of Irrational Fear. I... It's pretty great. I, I well, hope so he says. <laughs> uh, I think it's actually a hundred and second, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So I hope for a moment you let us be a little bit self-indulgent. Um, we started this uh, show, Rational Fear, in 2012 because there wasn't a place to do jokes about the news and climate change and provide a new platform for voices. Um, this show we kind of put together on stage for the very first time at the FBI Social, which was a small room, not unlike this, in the King's Cross Hotel, and we streamed it live on FBI Radio back in 2012. Um, it was really great. Uh, and, you know, from there we've done lots of great stuff. We've sold out the Opera House a few times. We've had sell-out tours around the country. Uh, Barack Obama's national security advisor came on the podcast and slammed Tony Abbott, and that made news, which is fantastic. And it's been a lot of fun. You know, the reason why we made this is so we could all show off and show how you know, smart and funny we are. Can I say, uh, when you brought me onto the show for the first time, I'd never done satirical comedy before, and last week I was on the BBC News Quiz, so you're responsible for a large portion of my career. Thank you, Dan. Ostensibly, this show's done a lot better for everybody else's careers. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I can't believe we managed to get DJ Tom Loud, Hot Tub Time Machine, back. Tom, Tom DJ, Tom Tom DJ, our first bunch of shows. Now Tom is like the most in-demand DJ in Australia. (laughs) (laughs) That's DJ for you, damn right I am. Um, and it, it, but this is the whole point. It, this show works because people come together to make it happen and it's been such a great little platform um, for loads of folks. Uh, Dylan Bain, who's in the audience yeah. still. Yeah. There he is. Bang, bang. His, Dylan is usually the, uh, the Paul Schaefer of the show. Uh, oh, uh, <laughs> he pulled together this video with some folks who have been a part of the show over the years. I'll play for you now. Congratulations, a hundred episodes. hundred shows? You're fucking kidding. Hello, Tom Ballard here. 
saying congratulations to Irrational Fear on your 100th episode. Hey, Irrational Fear, congratulations on your 100th episode. What a huge achievement. Dan and the rest of the Irrational Fear team, amazing work. A huge happy 100th to the AFR. Such a great milestone. Congratulations on 100 episodes. I'm so sorry I couldn't be there, but I was not invited, and even if I was, I wouldn't come. Oh, not, not AFR, ARF. Irrational Fear? What's that, what's that again? Hi, this is Adam Hills, and I'd like to sincerely congratulate Dan Illich on his wonderful podcast, It Burns and Stuff the British Stole. Mark Humphreys here. Uh, sorry I can't be there tonight, mate, because um, I'm currently on the set of the new Thor movie. Um, I'm not in Thor, but um, I was hoping to speak to Chris Hemsworth about uh, playing me in a, a biopic of my, of my life, because I think you'll agree that the resemblance is uncanny. Good night. Danny, congratulations on 100 episodes of convincing, telling, pushing, cajoling, massaging, insisting and otherwise asking nicely for every unemployed comedian and or semi-employed comedian and or semi-comedian to appear on your podcast. Uh, I think I appeared on one. Actually, come to think of it, 100 episodes and you only had me for one. I must have been shit. This podcast and live show has done what all satire does, which is fundamentally change political economic reality and fix all the problems. I remember eight years ago climate change was a bit scary and the internet was incubating an embryonic alt-right but fast forward to today a hundred episodes later congratulations everything is much worse that's just um sorry that's not how I um wanted that to come out. I'm just um so sad that this is going to be your last one because like the news is pretty slow at the moment not really anything to discuss, but he's hoping something interesting happens soon. I don't actually accept the premise of your celebration. If I did, I'd say congratulations. I would say, what an incredible, lucky country we are to have a comedian like you working. But of course, it's all gossip and innuendo, so I can't say any of that. You know, in Talkback Radio, we love hearing stories about Aussie battlers, people from Struggle Street who, against the odds, have had a go and managed to achieve something. And when I think about battlers, I think about Dan Illick and Irrational Fear. Despite all the challenges in front of Dan, he's managed to make Irrational Fear a success. And they've now clocked up 100 shows. In a very real sense, without this show, I wouldn't be where I am today which is in a maximum security facility in a satellite orbiting the planet right now, for I cannot be on the Earth any longer. One guest appearance by me made it all possible. But for a kid, part Levo, part Italian, part Croat, with a really stupid name, Dan, you're done good, done good, mate, done good. Now, if you want a hundred more, well, you've got my number. But a warning, since the success of At Home Alone Together, the fee's gone up. It's going to cost you... Oh, at least 10 bucks. Oh, anyway, um, you know, keep up the podcast for some reason, yeah? Have a very happy 100th celebration. Huge congratulations. I'm so proud of you. Well done. Congratulations. Happy 100th, guys. You're a special little man. Congratulations. We love you. Irrational fear. Yay! Your fear is rational. Thanks very much. Um, like, I know a lot of you know that I'm a pretty hard-hitting political guy. And so I hope you have enjoyed the hors d'oeuvres. And uh, you're ready for me to really kick the head off a topic here? 
Um, it is a real honour. It's a real honour to be on the show. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for everyone. Honour to share the stage. Honour to be here on the 100th. And, you know, I, I don't mean to think that I just, you know, left my topic to the last minute or anything like that. I was waiting, like on a production line, just looking at all the news of the week coming past, <laughs> just looking for the one with the hair in it, looking for the one that I could grab. And I got the big one yesterday. Um, I don't know if you guys have been watching the tennis. <laughs> but they've got rid of lines, people. Did you know? Have, has people seen that? It start. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Just say it a bit louder for the audience. What? No one else got one of those. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's big. Started off as a COVID thing, I think. Uh, so not as big as camp. Yeah, what? Yeah. I've actually got more, so we do need to get past it. Because <laughs> it's not actually huge. Um, started off as a COVID thing. They're just using the laser now. They're using Hawkeye, Hawkeye Live, it's called. And they've got, so when it's a fault or out, it's a recorded voice that's yelling fault or out. But the talk is, they're not bringing the lines people back. That's it. The robots are doing such a good job that now there is a few dozen stern-faced middle-aged people in broad brim hats <laughs> who are very good at seeing when things are a little bit off who don't have a job. And, yeah, I know. What? <laughs> and they're walking around the tennis and they don't have anything to do. Um, I mean, they could probably just go, they could probably look at people to see if they're a metre and a half apart and go, oh, 1.49. But it's not enough. And it is a bit like when supermarkets replace checkout people with the robot checkouts. It's the same thing that's going on with lines people. Yeah, a couple of nods. Sad day. <laughs> And the, they didn't do the thing that they did at the supermarkets, which was they forced... Remember they forced the people at supermarkets to teach you how to use the robot that was stealing its job? And they had to just go, yeah. And so, as you can see, it's very easy. And um, there's my last shift. So they didn't do that. I thought that was the biggest kick in the pants. Uh, they haven't done that. However, however... Um, that's the human cost. So there is a sad part to the story. There's actually the real information that came out. This is the bit that I grabbed out of all the clippings that I had on the bed and was like, yes, this one. <laughs> um, it's, it's made the news because there's a, there's, a, there's a little bit of a devil in the detail here. So the maker of Hawkeye, um, this is the first time I've ever done research or written something down. Um, and he's the director of tennis, Ben Figueredo, right? He's done an interview with the agent in the Sydney Morning Herald. He says he's excited because with this technology that detects out and fault, and you can get it to yell out using a robot voice, he said, we can make it yell anything. <laughs> he's like, you know, do you guys know about MP3 files? It doesn't have to be out and fault. He doesn't, he's like, that's just tennis telling us to do that. We, this is his exact words, he goes, we could even make it yell Rolex or Kia. He's <laughs> like, we can make it yell the sponsor when it lands out or it's a fault. It's a fucking cash bonanza. <laughs> All right, so I know it's one of those weird moments where you go, hang on a sec, is, you know, don't tell me the, you know, don't tell me there's money involved in the game. Don't tell me the players aren't just out there because they love tennis and Channel Nine's just showing it to us every night because they thought we would be interested to see what all the best tennis players are doing. No, there's a lot of cash. It's a bit of creeping commercialism. It makes us sad because we're losing one of the traditional values of the game, which is people on the edge yelling out and, you know, curious yelling at them and it's like a science teacher versus, like, you know, Daniel Wheeler back at my school in Year 9. You know, who's going to win? The brat or the science teacher? So we don't have any more. 
money has crept in. Money has crept in. And I know that makes people sad in sport. But here's where I'm going to put all my cards on the table. I spent 15 years in commercial radio and television. I am trained to see opportunities like this. <laughs> this is what we did. This is our bread and butter. I'm a fucking ninja at this. Have you heard the Triple M football call? The ball is sponsored. The stats sheet is sponsored. They don't even call them stats. They call them hard yakkers. That's the name. Hard yakker does the stats. So they go, how many hard yakkers have there been? That's the stats. I can't believe we're still seeing out and fold. There's no fucking money in it. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. There is, I think there is a, there's, a, there's an issue though, out and fault and negative terms. Like if you're Rolex or Kia, you don't want, if something bad happens, you don't want to be associated with that. So first step that I will give um, the geniuses is if Kia is in charge of it, you make, the, you make the fault call, you make it a competitor. So when it lands out, it's the Hyundai Elantra is full of faults. <laughs> but uh, if it's an out call on your Rolex, you have... Tag Heuer outrageously bad value. And so it's like, oh yeah, fuck, I don't want a tag. I want a Rolex. Um, let, down by your watch, get a Rolex. Um, but I think that's small potatoes, as we say in the commercial biz. Uh, out, fault, who cares? Um, let, you know, someone else can have those. If Kia, and they are the main sponsor, if Kia really want to own this, I've come up with an idea. Now, Lewis, I know you were gunning to get a free laptop previously on the podcast. <laughs> It hasn't happened. <laughs> well, I, I have asked many you times. You have asked, yeah. but you've been sloppy because you didn't yeah. use brand names. You've got that ABC weird thing where well, you can't say it. Yeah, it I, will, I will get fired if I mention a brand name. Okay. So. <laughs> I thought that might be the case. So, my friend, may I please mention Kia so much it gets you a car. All right, here's, here... Can I just jump in? Could it be Land Rover? <laughs> Why don't we start with a Kia and we're going to work our way up from there? I mean, I'm not going to be picking. It's okay, just well, don't sponsor the fucking Polo, mate. They're not doing this. Okay, so... <laughs> no, we love Kia. Start listening from now, Kia. <laughs> don't listen to them. All right, here's, here's the thing. If there's one area that we can change that is boring and a little bit confusing in tennis, it's the scoring. No one knows why it goes 15, 15, 10, then how many even is a game. No one knows. We, no one knows. We won't miss it. No one, what? no one knows what juice is. Who cares? So from now on, Lewis, this is our free... We want Kia to hear this. Kia, this is me and Lewis's pitch to you about what you can do with the scoring. Okay, so instead of having the numbers and the games and stuff, it's all related to Kia. So love, the score of zero, that's just walking. We call that walking now. That's, you don't have a Kia. So you're, it's the absence of Kias and you don't want to be there. You want to, you want to get past that. That, was, that would be a nightmare. And so the idea is you're building your Kia as the game goes on. So I know the old system was confusing and this is a little confusing, but stick with me. So 15 now, we call wheels. Ah, okay, he's on wheels. 30 is engine, 40, chassis. Okay? Well, chassis, I don't know. I think it's chassis. Um, tennis, is, tennis is French, so it's chassis. Chassis, yeah. chassis, that's what I'm looking for. So, 40, so you're building the car. Oh, you only got the exterior, the body to go. Except, so if you win the next point, you have a full Kia. However, if it's 40 all, of course, chassis, chassis. Chassis, <laughs> In the old system, that was juice. In the new system, that's exterior options. Okay? 
So you get two players locked at exterior options. If you win the next point, you get metallic paint. Right? Then if you win that, you've built your Kia. Okay, so you've won one Kia for... That, that equals a game. As this set progresses, you name... This is where it gets a little trickier. You name, instead of like game one, game two, he's won three games, he's won four games. You don't say that anymore because there's no money in that. You... You now refer to each number of games corresponds to the ascending order of the Kia range, okay? So if you just, yeah, good, I know. So if you've just won one game, that's the zippy and reliable Kia Picanto. Two, that's the very capable Kia Rio. Then you go to the Kia Serato, the Kia Seltos, the Kia Sportage. The sixth game is the luxurious Kia Sorento. Um, and then if the set does go to the seventh game, that, of course, is the seven-seat Kia Carnival. And then you have won the set, which is a collection of Kias. So now you've now got a collection of Kias. If you win the game, that's a fleet. Um, if you've won the fleet, you don't win the games anymore. You want a fleet of Kias. If you win the championship, of course, we just changed that terminology. You have won the dealership. Like, that's now what you win. And your opponent has to drive away, no more to play. Okay, that's it. <laughs> It wasn't confusing. I think we all understood that. Uh, Alice, you understood I it? I did not think I could find tennis more boring. <laughs> and then you made it about cars and maths. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, but imagine, you know, the Djokovic and one of the other big guys locked at a Sorrento all. I mean, they wouldn't even... <laughs> How are they going to get that dealership? Imagine the commentary. He wouldn't even fit in a Sorrento. Yeah. And, and that's just... Ee, ee, ee. For those at home, I'm doing the money symbol with my hand as the, as the money I mean, goes up. All this from Novak Djokovic throat punching a lines person with a ball. <laughs> and now we're all driving around in zippy sportages. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're going to love it. It's Can I just movie. say, I, as a, I, as a long-term ABC employee, that was something yes, else. Yes, that would have been like <laughs> I've waterboarding. I, I, felt, I felt like I was learning a different language. <laughs> that would have been like shock therapy. Yeah, yeah no, right. I, I thought I'd hate it, it, but I loved it. Just say <laughs> You'll learn to love it. Oh. Like, just say Kia a few times and it just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> Kia. That's <laughs> <Quite> good. <laughs> oh, really nice. I'll get you under some Peugeot stuff later. <laughs> Speaking of love, Gabby Bolt has got one last song for us before we wrap up the night. Uh, Gabby. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's funny, actually. I- I'm from Bathurst. Yep, that, well, no, that got the woo it deserved. Um, which is, it just means basically, I, without a pandemic, I also just haven't seen people. It's, it's just my life. But I have a TikTok account, which is, yeah, look. <laughs> um, but well, I've, I've recently. Look, I have more followers than my hometown, so hey. thanks, Bathurst. Um, but basically, I, I've been in the public eye, and I'm not at all used to that. Um, and so when I post online, sometimes people like to talk to me. <laughs> and so I, I've written a song um, to thank those people. <laughs> it, it's called Love Song for an Incel. <laughs> and in parentheses, I think I'd get on with your mum. <laughs> yep, it's only downhill from here. <laughs> Recently... The internet has become my new abode And every time I put up a political post I see something that catches my eye 
a retweet from the sweetest kind of guy. Three little words that he goes and states, referring me to all of his mates as someone to look up to. But the words aren't, I love you. Would you bang? That's what he said. So ignoring the fact it's not relevant And ignoring the fact I'm greatly average in bed And ignoring the disgusting sentiment Instead of a simple abuse of my autonomy He could have tried to set the fucking scene for me Tell me how we'd meet, tell me how you would treat me But since you won't give me the courtesy I'll do what must be done I reckon we would meet on the street you would catcall me from your bus stop seat You would be surprised when I in fact say Hey, I'm super flattered that you want to see my rack And I'd ask you to take me out on a date I'll leave it all to you to cultivate And I'll say, hey, could you pick me up round eight And you'll say you can't drive That's why you're at a bus station <laughs> So I rock up to your house Which is an overstatement Cause your house is your mum's And you live in her basement I wait with your mum for a while in the hallway She seems real sweet It's a shame her son is an ashtray Thinks Africa a potent aura It complements well with your sweaty fedora And as we leave for an evening I've been looking forward to I remember you've picked the venue and the menu and the seating I stole that line from Hamilton Lin-Manuel, please don't sue me When we take to our chairs amongst the popcorny air I ask what kind of film I'm in for Not surprised at all to hear it's by Tarantino As we watch you list off all the films you've seen Though you do go on to say that representation's not important And diversity has ruined all the things you enjoy And even in a hypothetical I feel unsafe <laughs> but for narrative's sake We have to get to third base So I get back to your house And we dim the lights down low Well actually they're off Oh, cause the basement's not on the same circuit board Which works out for me Cause I don't want to see you Even in the dark your chest hair really just shines through and I'm giving you all of my moves I said I'm giving you all of my moves yep yep and you're crying <laughs> I shouldn't be a dick, in a, even in a hypothetical. So I hold you while you shed tears. You say your sexual performance is one of your biggest fears. You treat women like they're objects to distract from the fact you're probably bad at sex. And while I'm empathetic, I am not an idiot. I grab my stuff and run the fuck out of the basement. But I stop to talk to your mum, because honestly, she seems fun But she doesn't seem to know That there's a sickness that exists within cyberspace Most diagnosable in patients who hide their face Hey, look around, it could be one of your mates Who tell me I shouldn't have opinions and to know my place Where, oh, it's going good 
Uh, my first mistake, thank you very much. <clears throat> Cheers! That makes me feel way better. <laughs> so as a woman, if you wish to share a point of view, be aware of the shitstorm that awaits you in the Reddit forums, in the Twitter hashtags, in the YouTube comments, in the TikTok duets, in the Facebook feed, in the email junk box, in the Insta DMs and in the post once I was doxxed. And I am all for taking accountability. I'm happy to debate ideology. But none of that matters. He already rated me a 6.3. <laughs> And now to top that, <laughs> I, did, I spent 15 minutes trying to work out where do I put the sword? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it was so good, Gabby. Yeah. Gabby, no, bought actually, everyone. Actually, <laughs> I Gabby. genuinely, actually, I forgot the words on purpose. <laughs> Yeah, Gabby, I, for, I forgot the words on purpose. Never apologise for being out. better than Lewis. Oh. <laughs> You'll be apologising all the time. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, everybody, Lewis Hubbard! <laughs> I was actually talking to someone earlier tonight about the show and they're like, oh, Hamish Blake's going to be on it. I'm like, yeah, I'm following you. And they're like, you're fucked. <laughs> and then, um, and then uh, now this, which is fucked. <laughs> So, I'm so glad I got in before. <laughs> <laughs> Just on behalf of the five yeah, of us, yeah. wow, it feels great. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> Lewis Hubbard! Fuck, I wish the show was tomorrow like I thought. <laughs> now, as a Victorian who lives in Sydney, I've always kind of felt like Switzerland in the Sydney-Melbourne debate. I think they're both great. You know, Melbourne has the food and the footy. Sydney has the beaches and the beauty. But there was always one trump card that Melbourne had to play uh, when it came to its uh, victory over Sydney. Hidden in a little laneway was a secret spot called Crown Casino. <laughs> now, as long as Sydney didn't have a Crown Casino, it would always be Melbourne's poor cousin. Everyone knew it. It's all anyone talked about up here. When will we get a crown? Where can I go if I want to gamble and eat at restaurants that already exist pretty close by? Well, you could go to Star Casino, I'd say. Puss, the star, they'd say. Without a crown, this city can never be king. And then, like a white knight riding in on his glimmering super yacht, came James Packer. He built a new crown right here. It would herald a new dawn of subtle sophistication right here in the Emerald City. I'm talking a hidden, tucked away. 22 hectares of land. An almost impossible to spot 75 floor casino. And all owned and run by a family business. 
the Packers. For a moment, Sydney was the happiest place on earth. Then, before I even got a chance to take my cool Melbourne friends to Barangaroo for a hip night of gambling, I find out that Crown can't open in Sydney. Apparently, some intern who calls himself a former Supreme Court justice suddenly decided, after an 18-month investigation, that Crown is unsuitable to run a casino. Why? Because Crown Casino in Melbourne has a long history of money laundering. Melbourne, isn't that fucking typical? Not only does it have the better restaurants, it's better at money laundering. If I, have to, if I want a money launder, I have to drive 10 hours down the Hume to turn my drug money into chips. It's outrageous. You don't ban someone for money laundering. Remember last year when Westpac accidentally forgot to mention 19.5 million transactions of money laundering? We gave him a little fine. No one went to prison. It was an accident. It was 19.5 million accidents. But Crown only made one mistake. One little money laundering mistake. Hoomst. Hoomst Among Us <laughs> has not once organised a junket for a triad gang to dump profits of crime for over a decade. Look me in the eye and tell me you haven't done it. Honestly, telling Crown they can't operate money laundering casinos, it's like telling Osher Gunsberg he can't host TV. It's what they were born to do. <laughs> Without Crown, jobs will be lost. Can you imagine the layoffs in the triad gangs? <laughs> I don't want to be the guy at Centrelink who has to tell a hitman he can't apply for JobKeeper. <laughs> and not only will people not be able to launder money, how will people gamble? Are you telling me people can just gamble on their phones? <laughs> at any time? On literally anything? I'm old-fashioned, I book my holidays at a travel agent. I buy my porn at a sex shop. And I like to gamble in a giant penis-shaped building. I don't want to gamble on a machine that fits in my pocket. I want to gamble on a big machine filled with coins like a robot leprechaun. I'm worried about what will happen to the beautiful Barangaroo if Crown can't open its casino. Usually, when you're not allowed in a Sydney building, it's for a normal reason, like it has cracks and it's about to fall down. <laughs> but right now, in Sydney, there is a 75-storey money laundering cock just sitting there on the harbour disorder. <laughs> I mean, what are we going to do with an empty building with a fucking crown on top of it? It limits the options. What are you gonna do, rent it to Crown Lager? That beer's a bigger crime than money laundering. I mean, what are we gonna do, literally? Rent it out to like a royal family? The closest Australia has to a royal family is the Hemsworths. Their Byron house is nicer than Barangaroo. If this nanny state won't let James Packer open his money laundering factory, I do actually have a few ideas of what we could do with the empty space. Now, your average Twitter teardrop will tell you that it should be used for public housing or COVID quarantine hotels. How about this? It's got a lot of CCTV cameras. Big Brother house. <laughs> if you think Crown's reputation is too bad for a TV network to film Big Brother, keep in mind, they used to film it at Dreamworld.
I'm just saying the standard's low. Okay, it's not right for Big Brother. I hear your groans. Maybe another show, Ninja Warrior, right across the casino floor. The first person to jump over the jewel of the Nile, swing around a roulette wheel, roll snake eyes, crack open the vault and swim through a billion dollars of laundered money wins $50,000. The rest of the money goes to Crown. <laughs> Fine, don't like that idea. I got more. We all know that James Packer and Mariah Carey are well and truly over. Maybe it's not too late to rewrite the divorce. So Mariah gets Barangaroo. Imagine Mariah Carey living alone in a giant tower for the next 30 years while the giant facade slowly decays. One day, an intrepid explorer wandering through the heat wasteland that was once Sydney machetes through the ivy branches that have overtaken Crown's revolving doors to find Mariah in rags, sauntering the empty halls, singing all I want for Christmas is you, while she mimes eating a sumptuous feast off the empty plates in a deserted Nobu. Yes, it is an excellent idea. But it's not as good as money laundering. Just like, oh, I feel like Crown should be allowed to launder money just like they do in Melbourne. I'm sick of Sydney being number two. Do you know that New South Wales isn't even the state with the most amount of poker machines in the world? Guess what number we are? Number two. You know who number one is? Nevada. First the storm wins the rugby league and now this. A Crown Casino simply must be allowed to operate in Sydney. I mean, they even let Western Australia have a Crown Casino. That's a state where you hit a jackpot anytime you dig a hole. <laughs> if Sydney doesn't pick up its game soon, soon, we'll have nothing. I mean, we'll have one casino, but what are we, Hobart? <laughs> We've already lost the cruise ship business. Don't take away our culture. <laughs> We need a friendly place with a carpet that reminds you of a funky fruit funeral parlour with lighting that says, what time is it? Who cares? And a car park full of family wagons with the windows down just enough for the kids to breathe. That's a good idea. I hope, personally, I don't see the day when there's a real estate agent out the front of Barangaroo auctioning it off. But if I do... 2.2 billion is actually not a bad price for an apartment in Sydney, so I might invest. <laughs> Thank you so much. Lewis <laughs> And that is it for Irrational Fear! Big thanks to the Bertha Foundation, our Patreon supporters, Kate Holdsworth, Dave Bluestein, Ads, Pete Lawler, Dylan Bain, Maddie Palmer, Lee Constance, and the other folks in our Discord channel, FBI Radio Giant Dwarf, Moira and Nicole here. Please thank our fear mongers for tonight. Yumi Steins, Chris Taylor, Alice Fraser, Hamish Blake, Lewis Hover, Gabby Bump, the incredible Tom Wells. And until next week, there's always something to be scared of. Good night! Ouch! Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.